those who received him and who believed in his name, that he was the savior of the world, those who did receive him and who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you've been following along on our broadcasts, you know that we're embarking on a year-long study of the Gospel of John. For more on this important and life-changing study, visit our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. But today, David takes us to the very beginning, John chapter 1, verse 1, in a message called, The Word. I want to begin today the verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of John. If you missed last week's message, it gave an overview of the life of John in what's called the Synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they all have different areas in agreement. There's a common source from which they draw. And then there's the Gospel of John. It's like John who wrote the book of John in the later parts of his life, probably in the 80s or 90s AD, the last apostle who was alive after the other three gospels had been written, it's as if John looked at them and said, you know, these are great, they have wonderful stories, they help you know Jesus, but there's a lot that they missed. John was the disciple whom Jesus loves. It says in the gospel of John five times that he is the gospel whom Jesus loved. So in that intimate relationship with him, he saw a spiritual side of Jesus that was not captured by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So 90% of what's in John is not found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So as we study this gospel over the next year plus, please let the intimate side of of the spiritual life of Jesus seep deep inside your heart. You'll never be the same once you understand who Jesus is, which begs the question, What's John trying to address here in the Gospel of John? It's this one major question. Who is Jesus? Throughout the entire Gospel, he is asking the question, who is Jesus? And he's answering it in profound ways. And the reason he's asking this question the way that he is, is found at the end of the Gospel of John when John writes these words. He said, Now, Jesus did many other signs in John 20, verse 30, in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John tells us at the end of the book why he wrote all that he wrote. It is so that you may believe in the name of Jesus and have the gift of eternal life. That's why in the early church, John, to make him different from John the Baptist, and we'll look at his life in a couple of weeks, John is called John the Evangelist because he was an evangelist. He wanted people to know Jesus intimately and personally in every possible way. So as we read through the Gospel of John, realize anew that this Gospel is to draw you into a spiritual life with Jesus that you never could have understood had you not had the Gospel of John. Also, its purpose is so that you'll believe in Jesus. As you read the Gospel of John, you'll be convicted of who Jesus is and come to faith in him so that you will have the gift of eternal life. That's the reason John the Evangelist wrote this book. He was the consummate evangelist. He wanted people to come to faith in Jesus. So let's begin this walk through the Gospel of John over the next year, verse by verse, starting with John 1, 1. Here's how John the Evangelist begins his wonderful book. We'll look at verses one through 18 today called 
the prologue of John, it's the introduction to John, it really does give specific insights into the question, who is Jesus? John starts with these words, in the beginning. It's like John starts where Genesis started. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So here John says, in the beginning, in the beginning of creation, everything has to have a beginning. You can't have something from nothing unless there's someone who creates that something. And John begins there, at the beginning of creation, when there was just eternality with one God in three persons, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning, when this world began, here's what then John says. There was the word. Now, why did he use that term, the word? John had as his heartbeat as an evangelist to reach two groups of people. He wanted to reach the Jews, of course, of which he was one, but he also wanted to reach the Greeks. The Greeks were the most influential people in the then known world. And they believed that the word had great power. Indeed, it went back to one of their philosophers who looked at the world that was chaotic. He was the one who believed that you could put your foot in a streaming river, but you take your foot out and you'll never put your foot back into that same river because it's passed by. And he was the one who came up with the idea that the world is chaotic, but there was a word, a logos, a logic, a mind, who was the one who created this entire world. So in the beginning, was the word, there was a mind, there was a logic, and we'll find out who this word is in just a moment. And also, the Jews believed in the power of the word. It was with one word in Genesis 1, and then again you see the parallel with John in John 1 in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was God, and God created all of this world, indeed all of the universe, with a word. In Isaiah 55, it says, God's word does not return void. So the Jews would have known God as the word. The Greeks would have known the one who was logic trying to create some kind of order out of chaos as the logos, as the word. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. So as you ask the question, who was the word, John is suggesting that the word was Jesus. We see that in just a few verses downward. And this word was with God. So this word, Jesus, was preexistent before creation. In other words, God didn't create Jesus. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus and the Father were one in preexistence in the beginning. They were the ones who began this world. They created something out of nothing to begin this world. And the word was with God. God and Jesus coexisted together in eternity before the world was ever created. And the word was God. That is a clear, definitive statement that Jesus was God. Through the history of the church, you've had all kinds of different heresies that have arisen and one called Arianism did not believe that Jesus was actually God. You, you see the same thing with some other world's religions that exist today. But it is clear in the way the Greek is written here that in the beginning was the word. There was a separate person from God the Father, the word, and this word was with God, and this word was God. The word was God. Jesus is God. So as John asked the question for his readers, who is Jesus, he definitively answers that question in verse one. He says, Jesus is God. Then he was in the beginning with God. Notice that John chooses to use he 
a pronoun, making Jesus personal, that in the Trinity, you have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit introduced later on, one God in three persons, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and in the beginning, He personally was with God, suggesting a personal relationship between Jesus, the Word, and God, the Father. That makes perfect sense because if God is love, there must be some kind of person whom God can love within the Godhead. In other words, if God is only monotheistic, he has to have created you and me before there can be love. But God is love before the world ever was created. God is love because there was perfect love in the Godhead between the Father and the Son, the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the Father. That's what John's trying to get across. One God in three persons, and in the beginning of creation, the Word was with God. They coexisted. The Son preexisted creation, and they created the world together. All things were made through him, through the word, through the person, Jesus, that God the Father gave the Son permission to be the one who created the entire word. And without him, without the word, without Jesus, was not anything made that was made. This is a consistent New Testament teaching that Jesus is the creator of everything in the universe. This earth, the stars, the moon, the skies, Jesus is the one who did that, the Father giving him that permission to do the creative order of the universe. And in him, in Jesus, was life. Let's stop there. That God is the one who created all life, and in this Jesus we have an idea of what life is supposed to look like. Jesus is the one who created this life. He breathed life into the lungs of Adam, and in him we see what God intended the human race to look like. So when God in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 said, let us make man and woman in our image, there is plurality, there is one God in three persons suggested, and Jesus was the one who created all things, and he's the one that breathed life into Adam and into Eve and to you and me. He is the giver of all life. So if you want to follow Jesus, know that he is the one who has given you the life that you presently have, all as a gift from him. He is worthy to receive praise. And the life was the light of men. So Jesus was not only the one who gave life to us, but he is the light that allows us to live. He is the light of all people. He is the one who shows us how to live. He is the one who shows us the truth of how to live. That's what life does. light does. It exposes what needs to be exposed so we can take the next step and we can continue on our journey and especially we can go home because we'll see we are lost in all of our depravity and Jesus as the light of the world is the one who takes us home. The light shines in the darkness. Our world is dark. This darkness term here alludes to the fall of Adam and Eve when they rebelled against God and corrupted this world and made it not operate as God intended it to operate. But the light, the word, Jesus shines his bright light into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness can't overcome the light. Be in the darkest room possible. Be in the darkest woods possible and light one single match. Just one single match. And the light overcomes the darkness. That's what God is saying here in his word that no matter how far you may be from him, no matter how dark your life may be, 
you can have the light of the world indwell your life and bring you home. That's John's message as the evangelist, emphasizing this light and this life that Jesus, the word, gives us as the second person of the Godhead. Then verses six through eight are a reference to John the Baptist. I'm going to pause and talk about that in a couple of weeks. It's like John the evangelist knew that Josephus, for example, the great historian, referred often to John the Baptist. He was very well known during that time period. And John wanted to make sure that people could differentiate John the evangelist from John the baptizer. And he then alludes to him here. But again, we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks and do a real in-depth study of who John the baptizer really is. But let's move to verse nine. The true light, that's Jesus, who's the true light, the one light that can take us home, show us the next step, give us a way to get out of our darkness. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So this true light, who wants to give light to this dark world, came into this world for everyone. He wanted everyone to know his truth and his way of living. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. What a fascinating phrase that God sent his son into the world to help us overcome the darkness and know how to go home and live forever and not be eternally separated from him. The world was loved by Jesus coming into this world in that Bethlehem stable, but the world did not know him. It would be like if Michael Jordan bought the Hornets here in Charlotte and there were 16,000 people in the stands and he walks in and, and everybody looks at one another and goes, who's that guy? Who's that guy? And he might say, I'm the owner of the Hornets. And everybody goes, no, you're not. You couldn't possibly own the Hornets. No, you don't own the Hornets. That's stupid. And they would not receive his word even though they were in the arena that he built and were watching the team that he formed. That the same is true with Jesus. He came into our world, into the world he made with all the people around him and he claimed to be God. He said, here I am. I own this team. I own this arena. And everybody looked around and said, no, you don't. <laughs> How could you, a poor Jewish carpenter, own all of this? The truth is, you know, Jesus did make this world and he walked into it and the world did not know him. Then verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus went to his people, the Jews, and you'll see throughout the entire gospel of John how the Jews stiff-armed Jesus. They rejected him. They didn't want any part of him. Uh, similarly, uh, that would be like Michael Jordan being rejected by the city of Charlotte with the arena he built and with the team that he formed, and then he says, you know what, I'm gonna go to my people. I'm gonna go to my blue bloods. I'm gonna go to my Carolina basketball family, and I'm gonna go to them, and I'm gonna say, I made all of this, and this is my and surely because he's such an important part of that family, they would receive him, but they would say to him, who are you? You don't own all this. I mean, come on, that's impossible. So Jesus went to his own, the Jews who should have understood his message more than anyone, they rejected him. Just like if Jordan went to the Carolina basketball family and he got rejected and was not received as well. That's what happened with Jesus. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name. So evidently, back to the Jordan illustration, there were a few in the stands who started to say, well, maybe he is who he says he is. And uh, maybe he really does own this team, and maybe he did build this arena. And maybe even members of the basketball family at UNC began to say, yeah, you know what, I think it might be true. And so there were those who began to receive Jesus among his own people. And even you'll see in the Gospel of John and also in the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll see Gentiles, some of them began to receive him as well. So those who received him and who believed in his name, who believed the name of Jesus, that he was the savior of the world. He was God's son sent into the world to die for our sins, to give us the gift of eternal life. Those who did receive him and who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, this is very interesting because people say, well, aren't all the people in the world children in God's family? Well, in a general sense, yes, but in a specific sense, no. What the Bible teaches is God did create everyone, but we've rebelled against him and everyone's one of his enemies. So he only is the father to those who have received him and believe in his name, Jesus. They then are given the right to be adopted into God's family. David and I discuss ways each of us can build a strong, personal relationship with God. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of Hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, uh, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Tom Westboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals were shipped to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope and we just pray an unlimited return and harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much.
Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, in your morning e-devotion series called My Personal God, you've talked about ways Scripture invites us into an intimate relationship with Jesus. And one of your recent devotions especially intrigued me, and in it you referred to Him as your helper. Well, it's one of the phrases that David uses in the Psalms to describe his personal relationship with the eternal God of the universe. He calls him my helper, my personal helper. You you know, Jen, I think the prayer that God may love to hear more than any other prayer is this simple one. Help! (laughs) We cry out to him, help! And in that answer, the Lord assures us that he is our helper, that he gives us our help in times of need. So I think for all who are listening right now, we need to know that the Lord wants us to experience him as our helper. Now think about that. The creator of the universe wants to personally help you wherever you may be right now, to help you as he helped King David, who referred to God as, again, my help in Psalm 30, verse 10. Now there are many ways the Lord wants to help you. He wants to stand beside you. He wants to be with you. He wants to work in you. He wants to flow through you. He wants to bless you and give you his peace. You can go about your day with confidence when you know that Jesus is helping you. He's the best friend you can ever have. Oftentimes, when Jesus helps us, we don't even know it. He goes before us and shows us in which path we should walk in order to seek his will. So when you feel weak today, dear listeners, remember this truth. Jesus is strong. He is helping you, strengthening you to be more than a conqueror, Romans 8, 37. You can do anything through Jesus. Jesus, your helper, who gives you strength, Philippians 4.13. In fact, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead who lives within you, is called the helper. He wants to give you help in your times of need. So, in the words of that great old hymn, God is our help in ages past. He is our help for years to come. Pray to the Lord today this strong prayer, Daddy, in heaven, in Jesus' name, be my helper. Help me. Stand by my side. I know that if you are for me, nothing outside your will can stand against me. Jesus, please help me throughout this day. Show me your will. Let me follow you faithfully in every possible way, because I know that you are my help, my personal help. You are my helper for whatever I may face. Dear friends, when you know that Jesus is your helper, you will find strength in him for whatever you may face each and every day. This is so helpful. And really, I really like this one because this is an easy one to convey to my kids. We often ask for help finding lost things. And I just love going to Jesus as our helper. Yeah. And when we have great need, Jen, that is when he is our greatest helper. Mm -hmm. And again, as I started this, let me restate it, that Jesus loves that great prayer 
prayer, help, <laughs> because when we pray that, we know that he is my help. As David said in Psalm 3010, that God is our helper in whatever we may face. That's so good. Thank you so much, David. Uh, thank you, Jen. And listeners, if you would like to receive this daily e-blast from me at seven o'clock every morning, a thought from me, from my heart to yours on how to receive a moment of hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org and you can subscribe there. It's my way of offering up you, again, a daily moment of hope so that no matter what you face, God will be your helper. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message on the Gospel of John is from our online worship service. And you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out our Hopecasts. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking that you pray for the frontline healthcare workers in our community.